Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Welcome to Slate Church, everyone. Uh, So glad to have you guys uh, joining us today. Whether you're tuning in online, you're tuning in to our live online services at 9 and 10.30 at live.slatechurch.com, whether you're tuning in later on YouTube On Demand or you're in our Myra community uh, watching this this week, uh, we're really glad that you're here uh, and that you're just joining us today in church, whatever that looks like for you. Honestly, I think there's so much value in us gathering together as a community, and I'm really excited about this series we're in the middle of, A Deeply Formed Life, as we go, uh, honestly, deeper as a community together into what it really practically looks like to follow Jesus day in and day out in our lives. Uh, If we haven't met before, my name's Nate. I'm on our team here. Uh, I'm our discipleship and growth pastor um, alongside my wife, Emily, which just means that we get to help uh, really work with a lot of our locals, our smaller communities within our larger Slate church uh, that eat together, spend time together, serve their communities with one another, study scripture together, and honestly just try and live out a lot of the stuff we're talking about right now, this uh, life of following the way of Jesus, practicing the way of Jesus with one another. Uh, And it's a pretty awesome thing to be able to get to do that and and work with our incredible locals. So excited to be doing that, excited to be here with you guys today, uh, and to be jumping into the next part in our Deeply Formed Life series. I just wanna, before I go any further, just say a huge thank you to Pastor Brandon and Emma, um, honestly just for the opportunity to be speaking to you guys, but for their leadership in our church. Uh, One thing Pastor Brandon's talked about, he's like, man, like he said like, as a leader, like we need to be uh, uh, working through these things even before we bring them uh, to the church in a series like this. And it's been really cool like to be able to, to see behind the scenes, to look behind the curtain and see the ways that Pastor Brandon and Emma have actually been living out this series and struggling through it and working through it and seeking God faithfully day in and day out for the last like, like well, their whole lives, but really um, with this like idea of a deeply formed life, this idea of like developing these spiritual disciplines, really intentionally doing this over the last year, seeing them working this out behind the scenes, knowing that this is something they want to lead our church through into a deeper place of understanding and focus on these disciplines. Um, and it's really cool to get to see that behind the scene look of the work that they're doing, not just in prepping and preparing a message, not just in reading books so they can have like, you know, these different quotes and, and set up these series and all these things, but the work that they're doing in their own souls uh, to be able to lead from a place of, of honesty of what God is doing in them. So thank you to our lead pastors. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today uh, and excited to jump into this. All right. We're going to jump into John 15. Uh, verses one, John chapter 15, verses 1 to 17, which has been like our guiding verse for this series. Uh, but before we do that, because I'm going to be jumping around a little bit within there as I speak, uh, I just want to pray, uh, welcome God into this message, and then we'll go from there. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity uh, to speak to our community today. 
I just pray that as we seek you, uh, as we dive into your word today, Lord God, that you would just uh, uh, actually stir something in our spirits, Lord God. I pray right now that as people are tuning in, as they're, prepared, as they're watching this message, as they're, as they're leaning into this, Lord God, that you would actually already just be working your Holy Spirit inside of them, drawing them closer to you, uh, and that they would just hear what they need to hear from this message today, Lord. I pray that these would be your words and not my own, God, uh, that your Holy Spirit would speak through me today. In your name, amen. Amen. All right. So John 15 is this passage we've been working through. And basically what's happening here is Jesus is, is kind of having this farewell discourse. It's this time in, in, in the book of John where Jesus is speaking to his disciples shortly before he is about to go to the cross. And just to make sure we all are on the same page and understanding of what it means that Jesus goes to the cross, Jesus was actually betrayed. He was taken by the powers of the day. He was put up on a cross. He was murdered. He was killed. And then he rose back to life again three days later. And what happened was he actually took that punishment on the cross. He took the death that we deserve for our mistakes, for our sins, for our brokenness, for the bad things we've done, for the evil that is in the world around us. He actually took on all the evil, uh, all the collective evil of humanity throughout all of time and history onto himself. He paid the price and the punishment for that evil. And then he rose back to life again, actually breaking the bonds of evil, breaking the bonds uh, of death over our lives and giving us an opportunity for new life in him. And so what we see is that anybody who believes in Jesus, who declares that he is the son of God, that he died and rose again for us and, and accepts that we are sinners and that he has saved us from our sin, actually gets to have eternal life in him through his sacrifice on the cross. And so this is what's about to happen. It's a pretty important moment in history. It's an exciting time. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples right before all of this. He's giving them a little bit of a heads up and he's explaining what's about to happen. He's explaining there's going to be a time where he dies, he comes back to life, uh, they, they see him for a little bit, and then he goes away again and he leaves his Holy Spirit the helper, God inside of us, that when anybody who believes in him, who follows him, who accepts that gift of eternal life, has the power of the Holy Spirit, God in us, to actually empower us to live out our faith and live out what it looks like to follow Jesus. And he's explaining there's going to be a period where he goes away before he comes back again, which we're, we're still not there yet. It's the same period we're in. He's explaining what this is going to look like to his disciples. All right, that's the context. That's where we're at. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. See, just to give us an overview of this metaphor, what Jesus is setting up, he's saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. I am the source of life. And when you choose to be in me, to remain in me, to have this relationship with me, we actually get to be rooted to Jesus and find the source of life and nutrients flowing through him and into us as the branches so that we can grow and flourish into the plans and purposes that God has called us to. 
And as we've been going through this series, we've been breaking down different parts of this. We, we, we've seen this idea of resting and remaining. What does it look like to remain in me, as Jesus says, to remain in him? We've talked about some of these spiritual practices for actually experiencing the love that Jesus has for us, for staying connected to the vine, praying and fasting, actually spending time talking to God, being in relationship with him, reminding ourselves of his uh, uh, power and, his, and our reliance uh, on him, that he sustains us through fasting. We've talked about silence and solitude and what it looks like to simply be in the presence of God, to actually take a moment to pause in a busy world and a busy society and just be before God, fully trusting and reliant in him. And we've been working through what it looks like to remain. And we've also talked about this idea of pruning versus cutting. When it says here that, that he cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, saying that, that, that we, it's actually better to be pruned than to be cut off. See, if we don't choose to follow Jesus, uh, we actually are disconnected from the vine. We're cut off from the source of life. But if we stay, the reality is we're going to be pruned. There's going to be some pain. There's going to be some challenges. There's going to be refining. But it's God, the gardener, working in us, shaping us, deeply forming us into who God has called us to be so that we can bear more fruit. And Jesus goes on. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And honestly, this is what I want to talk to us about today. What is the fruit that we're talking about? What is the fruit that Jesus is bringing up here? What is the fruit that we are meant to bear? What is the result of this process? If we remain in him, we'll bear much fruit. If we're pruned uh, as we remain in him, if we're worked and shaped, which is sometimes an uncomfortable process, where does this actually end up? What is the fruit and why should we care about it? And in order to understand this, I want us to actually jump back a little bit to the two kind of main commissions, the two main callings, the two main purposes that God gives humanity in the Bible. And so to jump back, the first one, the first thing we've been created for that I want to touch on here is relation, uh, sorry, is partnership. I want to touch on the fact that we've been created for partnership. And this speaks to the calling or the commission or the purpose that is given to humanity in Genesis. See, in the beginning of the world, we have Adam and Eve, and they're in the garden, and God says that, and God gives this command to rule and subdue the earth. See, God actually is calling us and inviting us to be co-creators and co-rulers of the earth with him, to actually be able to be a part of his creative process. He's given all these raw materials uh, uh, and this beautiful world, and he's asked us to partner with him in building and making and creating beautiful things and joyful things, making art and architecture, uh, and architecture and music and providing food and sustenance and building systems to support life and people. He's called us to actually be co-creators with him but unfortunately along the way humanity fell into sin and in falling into sin that vision's been distorted but it doesn't mean that that calling to be co-rulers with God doesn't still exist we as Christians are actually called to be working with God to bring beauty and justice into the world around us through our work through our volunteering through our interactions and our relationships with others we've been called to be co-creators, we have been created for partnership. Um, that's kind of why we see Jesus in this passage a little later on mention, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
So he's saying, ask whatever you wish, it will be done for you because there's actually a legitimate conversation that God wants to have with us. When we remain in him, when we allow him to shape our desires, he actually wants to have a real conversation with us. He wants to hear from us and actually take our input, which is like just this cool, crazy, beautiful thing to think that the creator of the universe wants my input uh, uh, so that we can actually be co-rulers and co-creators with him. That's one of our callings. But the other one that we have is we have been created for relationship with God. We've been created for relationship. Um, I actually love the way C.S. Lewis kind of explains this a little bit in uh, uh, the Screw Tape Letters. So I've talked about this before. The Screw Tape Letters are is this book by C.S. Lewis, and it's all written from like the perspective of a demon, which I know is like a little weird, but it's all written from the perspective of a demon who's talking about taking a human down. So like in this passage, you see it says something about being ignoble, like not noble. And really what he's saying is like, it's a demon talking. So if the demon says it's not noble, it actually means it's a very noble thing. So just so you get the context of what I'm talking about. But Screwtape, the demon in this story, he says, his ignoble idea, talking about God, is to eat the cake and have it. The creatures, humans, are to be one with him, but yet themselves. Merely cancel them or assimilate them will not serve. See, what he, what, what, what's being uh, referred to here, what I love about this quote and what it's breaking down, is this idea of free will that we actually have. It's this idea that God actually sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. And, and, and what's cool, what he's talking about here is this idea that like God doesn't want to just force us into relationship. He doesn't want to just force us to actually be connected with him. He doesn't want to just force us to be one with him. Um, but what he's actually doing is he's inviting us in. He's given us free will. And the unfortunate side is that it means that there is evil and there is brokenness because we have turned away from that gift and we have done terrible things as people and humanity and unleashed evil into the world. But the beautiful part of it is that this free will actually opens up space for real authentic relationship real relationship with the creator of the universe, real love that we get to choose when we choose Jesus, when we choose to accept his free gift of eternal life in him. We actually get to experience this. Um, um, and, and so what we see here is that we actually have been created both for partnership with God and relationship with God. And so why am I bringing all this up? Why am I saying this? Because this helps us to understand the fruit that Jesus is talking about. What is the reasoning? What is the purpose? What, what, why are we remaining in God? What is supposed to come out of all of these spiritual disciplines that we're talking about over this series? Well, we're meant to co-rule. We're meant to co-create. We're actually meant to bring beauty and justice and goodness and love into the world around us. And we're called to make disciples to be in relationship with God, but not just to be in relationship with God ourselves, but to actually answer the second commission that we see in scripture, the great commission, uh, uh, which Jesus gives to his disciples before he goes away, where he says to go and make disciples of all of the nations, to actually invite others into the relationship that we have with Jesus, because we were built for a relationship, and by, and by being in relationship with God, he is now calling us to invite others into that relationship, to make disciples, to point back to Jesus and say, hey, follow me as I follow him. Experience the love of God that I have experienced. And what's really cool is as we begin to understand what this fruit is, 
I, I really just love the way that Jesus speaks about this in John 15 and really sums it all up uh, as culminating in love. It all culminates in love. It says, Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's command and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. And he ends this with this. He says, this is my command. Love each other. This is my command. Love each other. See, the culmination of Jesus' command in this moment, of all of this talk of resting and remaining, of staying close to the vine, is to love one another, to actually live out this love. And it's not the kind of cheap love that I think we often have in our society today. Like, we say we'll love absolutely anything. It's like, oh my gosh, like, I love that chocolate. Like, for me personally, I'm like, I love the uh, sparkling waters that you can get at Farm Boy, the orange vanilla ones. There's probably like five people know what I'm talking about. They're amazing. They're so good. Uh, we're like, oh my gosh, I love that outfit. I love this house. I love all this stuff. And there's actually kind of this cheaper definition of love. Even when it comes to relationships, I've just been blown away in my own relationship. When Emily and I first started dating, we first said, I love you. I look back on it. I'm like, man, I don't even think I knew what love was at that point. See, when I said I love you to Emily at first, I think, honestly, we were just caught up in like a bit of an infatuation with each other and excitement about the newness of our relationship. I think it was real and it was like the peak of feeling and emotion we'd experienced up to that point. But coming, you know, six years later and looking back and saying, wow, like where we are now, when, when, when we've actually built something that's deeper and sacrificial and we, it's actually serving one another, that's something different. That's not the same thing we called love then. When I say I love you now, there's years of trust behind that love that evokes something so much deeper than what I experienced before. I think this is very much summed up in uh, how we talk about our pets. And I will say this, like I am like one of the biggest culprits for how I talk about my dog being a bad definition of what love is. But, but I think it also just shows like kind of how a lot of us are really desperate for love in our society. We're desperate for something deeper. We're desperate for actually just feeling needed and known, for feeling like we are cared for. And uh, I feel like we've just chosen an animal that will like, you know, give us that care and affection no matter what. And like, it is just wild the way people talk about their dogs. Like, and again, I'm saying all this as somebody who is kind of that person. Like if you've ever been on a call with me, I like have my dog on my lap all the time. We just took him for a haircut this week and he was cold. So we got him a little sweater that he wears when he goes outside now. Like we spend so much money on this dog. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I think it just kind of goes to show like we're looking for that affection and that validation wherever we possibly can in our society these days. And the reality is love, true love is actually something deeper. It's not just affection, it's not just the validation, it's not just a warm fuzzy feeling when your dog comes up and snuggles you, which is a great thing, 
but it's actually about sacrifice. The word for love used at the end of this passage actually denotes this. In Greek, uh, there was a bunch of different words for love. So it's not just saying like how we say, oh, love this, love that. There was like, okay, this is more like you like something a lot. But then there's these other words for love that have different meanings. And the one that's used here is agape. Agape love. And what's really cool is that Jesus breaks, gives us, I think, one of the best definitions of what agape love meant when he says this. He says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. To lay down one's life. That's what love is. That's a different thing. That's a new challenge. To actually lay down our lives, to lay down ourselves, to sacrifice ourselves for others. That's this agape love, this real love that is the culmination of the fruit that God is forming inside of us. See, when Jesus is commanding us, he's actually commanding us to be the biggest servant of all. To be somebody who's going to serve others, to lay down ourselves for others, to sacrifice for the people around us. And I really believe that that needs to be what comes out of all of these spiritual disciplines that we're talking about. It's a kind of love and a kind of sacrifice that penetrates every fiber of our being and completely transforms the way we see the world. It's interesting. Jesus says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. If you keep my commands, which then he goes on to say, my command is this, to love one another. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Remaining requires spending time inwardly. It requires prayer. It requires fasting. It requires silence and solitude. But it can't just stay there. All of these other disciplines are meant to get us into a place where we experience the love of God, where we know that we are loved, where we experience His presence, where we focus ourselves on Him. And what that leads us to is a place of surrender, a place of that love flowing out of us in the form of service and sacrifice, of laying ourselves down for those around us, of not thinking of ourselves, but thinking of others. And that's kind of what I want to break down with the rest of our time here today. What does it look like to shift our focus? You know, the kind of disciplines we're going to talk about are service, generosity, and simplicity. And what what I really believe is is that all of these things have in common, this idea of looking outside of ourselves. What does it actually look like to build up the discipline to not live our lives for ourselves, just doing what we want? just satisfying ourselves, just trying to make ourselves happy, but to actually look out, look up, look around, see the world around us, see others, see those in need, and actually make sure that our focus is on Christ is on, and the things of his kingdom, that our focus is on his call on our life to, make, to bring about beauty and justice and to make disciples. But I do think we need to be careful as we jump into this. I saw a video recently uh, that somebody shared on social media in our church And it was like somebody cutting through stuff in a kitchen, but like every single thing they cut through was actually cake. I don't know if you guys have like seen anything like this. It was like, oh, like here's like, I don't know, like the knife block with all the knives in it. And they bring a knife up to it and they cut through and all of a sudden it's just like, oh, it's cake inside. And then like they go to like a kettle and it just looks like just totally like a kettle and they cut it and it's actually a cake that's made to look just like a kettle. If you don't know what I'm talking about, 
probably think I'm like kind of crazy right now, but like it was wild. And I kind of was thinking about this video as I was thinking about these spiritual disciplines, about service, generosity, and simplicity, about living out these callings on our lives. You know, one of the biggest things Jesus pushed back on when he came to this earth was the religious people that just went through the motions and looked like they were living this out. They made themselves look generous. They made themselves look like they served others. They made themselves look, oh, so pious, I'm living a life of simplicity. They made themselves look like they were carrying out the calls of, calls of God, that they were the most holy people, when the reality was their hearts weren't being transformed. And so I know cake is a good thing, so this metaphor breaks down a tiny bit. But I kind of think that we got to make sure that when, when our good works are cut into, it's not just like all cake underneath. It can't be fake. It can't just be our own pride and our own ego and our own sin and our own whatever trying to just do works, do works, do works, do works to satisfy God or to satisfy ourselves or satisfy others around us. I think we need to be really careful as we talk about some of these more practical outward disciplines today that we don't end up in a place where, we, where it's actually something rotten inside of us when God is calling us to actually to use the metaphor that doesn't totally work, actually just be the kettle, actually just be the knife block, actually just serve, actually just be generous, actually just live with simplicity and live out this call of God on our lives. Love is something that we do. And so today I want to break down some of the ways we can do it with service, generosity, and simplicity. I also want to say that as we jump into service, um, it's important to note that we're going to be talking about what these look like as disciplines. What do these look like as disciplines in our lives? Um, all this stuff, service, generosity, simplicity, can actually just happen naturally. It can just be the fruit, right? Like as God is transforming us and changing us from the inside out, like we can just out of the joy of our hearts serve somebody else. And that's fantastic. Um, but I actually really believe that we need to make sure that we don't just wait for like, oh, I feel like serving somebody else. Oh, I feel like being generous. I feel like, like being intentional and living with simplicity. Uh, I really believe that we need to actually be intentional right up front about being disciplined and moving in this direction, being disciplined in how we're serving others and how we're developing and cultivating a heart of generosity within ourselves and how we are living simply. So let me start with service. What is service? Uh, honestly, it's like a fairly broad discipline, um, but it's really any way that we are sacrificing our gifts, our talents, our time to actually help others, uh, to actually serve others, to support others. And I really believe that service is something that uh, uh, for us, we, we need to be able to practice uh, uh, as a discipline in a consistent way in order to build that heart of loving to serve. Like naturally, I don't think very many of us actually love to serve other people. There might be moments where we like it as we experience the love of Jesus. We might get excited about certain serving opportunities, these different things. But it's another thing entirely to grind through serving others day in and day out. To make it our whole mode of operation and something that influences every part of our lives. I think the reality is a lot of us are fair weather servants. We like serving when it's good for us. We like serving when it fits into the, the niche that we want it to fit into in our life. It's like, all right, I've dedicated my Wednesday nights to helping out for an hour with this charity. Great. Even for some of us, and we love that we have an incredibly servant-hearted church here at Slate Church where most of what we do is run by volunteers, but I think for some of us, we can be like, all right, 
I served on Sunday morning. That's, I checked my service box. I'm serving. That's great. But what we see is that Jesus outlines being a servant as something that is core to our identity. It's interesting. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I have learned from my father I've made known to you. He says before, they says, you are my friends if you do what I command. And kind of the funny part about Jesus is saying here, he's like, yeah, you're not servants, you're friends. But you're friends if you do what I command. And what I command is to love one another to the point of laying your lives down for each other. So to actually be Jesus' friend is to actually live out and follow his model of being a servant. So we might not be servants to Jesus anymore. We might be friends with Jesus, but to be a friend with Jesus is to be a servant to the rest of the world and to one another. And so what does this look like? I think it actually looks like checking our motives in every interaction and situation. It looks like looking around and surveying our lives and saying, okay, where in my life am I finding bitterness for the work that I need to do? Where in my life am I finding frustration in the work that I need to do? Where in my life am I uh, actually beginning to look down on others or feel superior to other people? Where in my life am I actually struggling to serve with a pure heart? And that's where we can build our disciplines around. You know, I really appreciate uh, in his book, Spirit of the Disciplines, that definitely informed a lot of this message, uh, a really important book on spiritual disciplines that we've used for a lot of this series by a guy named Dallas Willard. He talks about this idea of service. And he says, honestly, I think service is more often uh, uh, better. He, he basically paraphrasing here, but he says that service is actually uh, probably a little more important for those in positions of leadership, power, and authority. You know, Jesus' disciples asked him, like, who is the greatest among us? How, how can we know who the greatest of us is? And Jesus says, the greatest is the one who serves the most. The biggest servant of all is the greatest among them. I think it's really important for those of us uh, in our Western context who often have a lot of our needs met, who have a lot of resources, who find ourselves uh, to actually be quite wealthy, to be quite well off, to actually have a lot of opportunity before us, can find ourselves in leadership positions and positions of authority quite frequently, for us to really examine ourselves and say, is my leadership actually service? Pastor Brandon has been saying this a ton lately to all the leaders at Slate Church that anytime you hear the word leader, you should be able to replace it with servant. How am I leading that person? How am I serving that person? If we're looking at the good things and the great things that we have in our lives, how can we really examine this and say, okay, the first our last, the last will be first. If I actually want to be the greatest, if I actually want to live up to the responsibility of the ways that God has blessed me with finances, the ways that he's blessed me with influence, the way that he's blessed me to be in such a, a wonderful, free, uh, uh, wealthy, prosperous country, then I need to actually really examine how I'm serving others, how I'm actually being there and helping others. A few practical ways we can begin to do this. Um, I think, honestly, one thing is serving on Sundays actually making that commitment to say, hey, I'm going to serve God's kingdom. I'm going to help make disciples by supporting what's happening here at Slate Church. I'm going to help uh, just show up on Sundays and serve. I'm going to make that commitment. And by being disciplined in that commitment, by doing it week in and week out, I really believe that you can find joy in how you serve here at church. Find joy in participating in Elmira uh, and joining our worship team there or jumping on our host team or our production team, getting to see people's smiling faces and welcome them as they come in, getting to be a part 
part of making happen what God is doing in that community, in that context right now. If you're online, you can actually jump in and serve. Our comms team has some wonderful openings and places where you can help with like graphic design and social media and these different things. You can join our online host team and help actually be uh, welcoming people in the chat and connecting with people who are engaging with us online and helping them to get plugged in here at our church. There's a bunch of ways you can serve there. You can join one of our locals and actually all of our locals serve their local community. And so by joining a local, you can be a part of uh, how that local is serving their community. I don't mind. We, we make breakfast for uh, uh, people experiencing homelessness once a month. That's kind of where we've started in that. Um, but, but, but there's so many ways you can serve there as like a consistent discipline thing. But I encourage us to not just let this like be like, okay, I got to serve in the church box. But for those of us in the workplace, I would challenge us to look around and say, hey, who do I have the opportunity to serve? If you manage people, if you lead others, looking around and saying, hey, am I just telling them what to do? Am I just pushing others too hard? Really empathizing, looking at the experience of others and creating disciplines for yourself in order to serve others effectively. An example for this could just be like just grabbing people coffees. Like I know it sounds really simple, but these are the kinds of things we need to create for ourselves in order to train ourselves to live out these disciplines in a healthy way. What are the simple things I can do to shift my mindset, to shift my perspective from how am I being served, how am I being taken care of, to how can I serve others, how can I make somebody's day better? A really great example of this would be Alicia Snyder, uh, who is uh, on our worship team and leads Slate School here at, uh, at Slate Church. Uh, she's fantastic. And one thing that's really cool, it's like all the time I talk to her, like she's always telling me these stories of these amazing interactions she has when she's like buying coffees. Like I swear, like almost like any time she goes up to a counter to buy a coffee, she's making that other person day's day better. She was telling me recently, she was at like a Timmy's and she went up and she's like, he just looks so sad, the person behind the counter. And I was just like, how are you doing today? And he's like, not doing great. And she's like, you know what? Like, I'm just so thankful for you today. I'm so thankful that you're serving me this coffee. I'm so glad that you're here today. And I just don't know if anybody else has told you this, but I'm just so happy you're here. And what I love that is in a service interaction where this person is supposed to be serving her, where she's expecting to be served, where many of us could go in and say, oh my gosh, this dang Timmy's employee looks so grumpy. Oh, oh man, they were so rude to me. We could start complaining about it. She actually chooses instead to say, hey, how can I serve this person? And these are the kind of disciplines we need to find where these gaps in our service are and create disciplines for ourselves to say, hey, every time I go and buy something at a service establishment, I'm going to be asking myself how I can serve that person. Hey, every time I interact with somebody in my workplace, I'm going to be saying, how can I serve that person? Hey, when I actually have to do this homework that frankly kind of sucks and I'm not excited about it, am I mad at my prof? I'm going to serve quietly and faithfully because that's going to be my discipline and I know that God is going to value that on the other side. And I really believe that service as a discipline flows naturally, naturally into the discipline of generosity. And this is really us actually saying, hey, I, I, I can serve people with my time, I can serve people with my interactions, uh, but I actually really believe that, that I need to be able to surrender my finances. And we talk about this every week in our giving talks, but it's this idea that God has given us everything we have. 
Jesus talks about it. He says that, uh, uh, he talks about how like the birds uh, uh, and the trees don't worry about what they're going to eat. The flowers are beautiful, but they don't worry about how they've been clothed or, or, or their beauty. They just exist. And he says for us in the same way that we're actually supposed to live our lives with this total freedom and dependence on Jesus, a total trust in him. Again, looking outside of ourselves, not looking at finances and wealth and resources as something that we can consume. How can we just get more and more and more of this? How can we just get more stuff and do more things and have more experiences and have more finances and make sure we have the perfect 401k and the perfect retirement fund? Not that those things are bad, but I think it's so easy to get caught up in our mindset of how we're serving ourselves, how we're actually focusing on ourselves when it comes especially to our finances. Jesus describes getting into to heaven or, or getting into eternity or experiencing life with him for the rich as like, uh, I believe it's a camel going through the eye of a needle. Which is not to say that wealth is bad, that having money is bad, that if you've been blessed financially, that that's a bad thing and you should feel guilty about that. You shouldn't. But I do believe that it is an extra call to generosity. It's an extra uh, opportunity to say, oh my gosh, I've been so blessed. I must bless others because it is hard to follow Jesus and focus on ourselves. And that's even harder when we have a lot of finances. That's just the reality of it. And so when it comes to generosity, and this as a spiritual discipline, it's actually about finding how, uh, how we can release the hold of finances on us, no matter our financial situation. I think that for those of us with a lot of wealth and a lot of resources, um, you know, there's a lot of temptation that comes with that. And I think we have an opportunity to be uh, lavishly generous. And I say we, not that like I'm like, you know, super wealthy by Canadian standards, but just by being here in Canada and, and, and making a living wage, like we're actually doing pretty great for a lot of the world. So for us in Canada who have all these resources, how can we actually be disciplined in our generosity? I think one of the most important ways we can do this is actually through our tithe. This is a principle that's laid out in the Old Testament and it's built upon in the New Testament as we see uh, uh, the early church selling everything, selling plots of land to actually support one another's needs. And, and it says that they actually see the church laying down their finances at the feet of the apostles. In the Old Testament, we see this idea of a tenth, a tithe. That's what tithe means, a tenth of whatever somebody would earn going back to, to, to the work of the church as, a, as an offering to God. And I really do believe that there's something so valuable in regular giving and regular tithing and actually taking 10% or whatever that is and giving it back to God's house, giving it back to the work of the church for the work of the church so we can have the office that we're recording this in right now. We can have, uh, you know, an online service so that we can do all the stuff we do as a church and further that mission, sure. But also for us as an act of surrender. I was saying the first of my finances, God, I give back to you. The first of whatever I have, I have that's yours because I know that all that I have is yours, Lord God, and I want to trust you with all of my finances. And that's why I believe our discipline and our practice of generosity should actually start with our tithe, but it should go beyond that. You know, I would challenge us to look at the New Testament church and the way they met needs for one another and ask, how are you meeting the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ? How are you meeting the needs of your fellow people who are following Jesus and actually caring for one another practically? Are you buying Christmas presents for that single parent who can't afford them this year? Are you setting aside some extra money and some extra finances uh, every month so that you can actually support every meal train uh, that you get asked to be a part of? 
Are you setting aside resources so that you can just buy somebody a coffee or buy somebody lunch who needs it? Are you looking for, for needs of people and, and maybe meeting a student uh, in our evening service who, who needs some help with their school funds and actually like quietly gifting them and actually being generous in that way? I would really just love to see as a church us build this practice of generosity beyond our tithe and into our interactions with each other day in and day out. How are we seeing each other's needs? Seeing when people are hurting, when they're experiencing pain, when they're going through big changes and big shifts in their life, and actually just looking for opportunities as individuals to see those needs, see opportunities for generosity, and take them. I think that's great. I think it's really good to tithe. I think it's really good to have uh, a practice of generosity in terms of setting some money aside so we can meet the needs of others. But finally, I'd encourage us to look at our whole budget. And when we look at our finances, when we look at where we're spending our money, how are we being generous in everything we do? Are we holding on to, like Emily and I, we have like our own separate spending money buckets for each of us. And am I just like spending my spending money on myself entirely every month? Or am I actually willing to be generous and use some, some of my spending money to buy something for a friend? When we have our grocery budgets, are we like, okay, well, I'm gonna protect this and, and, and we don't have a ton of grocery budget right now, so I gotta be careful. Or are we actually using uh, our, out of our grocery budget to have people into our homes and welcome them in and be generous and bless somebody with a meal? When we actually buy that new car, when we buy that new truck, when we buy that new vehicle, are, are we actually using that uh, blessing that we have and what we're spending on that to actually drive people and support people and, and give people rides and help people out and do these different things? How are we actually cultivating this practice of generosity everywhere in our lives? And again, I think it's important for each of us to examine ourselves, examine what parts of this we struggle with, and to set up disciplines to actually uh, uh, build this as a healthy habit. Now it's tough because I can't tell you exactly what these disciplines should be. I can't tell you exactly what this should look like because it's based on each of our unique cases, each of our unique circumstances uh, in terms of what we struggle with, where God is calling us to, to actually set up some concrete, consistent ways that we can be generous to challenge ourselves to grow in this area. And finally, I want to talk about simplicity. Simplicity. I'm really excited about this one. It's honestly... Um, it's something that's been a big conviction of mine for a while. And it's this idea of like, hey, like, are we a little too obsessed with consuming stuff? Like, do we need to like reset our wardrobes every season? Do I need to buy like new stuff from 10 different stores like every month? Do I actually need to, to, to actually uh, go out and eat out that often? Do I need to Amazon Prime that stuff to my house that fast or that often? I think there's this society we live in right now where it's almost like, yeah, like we should pursue anything that makes us happy. We should pursue anything that brings us pleasure. Yeah, we can like have anything we want. It's all at our fingertips. I like buy dog food and I have Amazon Prime and I just swipe once and it's there on my door the next day. It's actually wild how efficient it works. And I think in this culture, in this society where we have so much at our fingertips, a discipline and a practice of simplicity of actually saying, wait, I don't need everything all of the time. I don't need to be constantly consuming content. I don't need to be constantly consuming products. I don't need to be constantly consuming services, but I can actually live simply and make intentional choices about what I buy, what I do, and how I spend my time and my focus. 
What's cool about simplicity, it's actually an extension of this idea of silence and solitude that we've talked about, of cutting off the noise and the constant stream of content in our lives. In a similar way, uh, 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 simplicity takes it to the next level and cuts off our constant consumption. Our constant need to get that little high of going and buying a little treat, of getting ourselves a little gift, of spoiling ourselves and making every day feel like Christmas. And it comes from a place of, of actual contentment inside of us. See, this discipline or this practice of simplicity, again, is all about this idea of embodying love, of embodying sacrifice, of embodying looking out from beyond ourselves. And I think one of the best ways we can do this is practicing a discipline of simplicity, of being very careful about what we're consuming because we live in a culture that is so incredibly me-focused and it is a powerful counter-cultural act to look beyond ourselves and say, wait, I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna stop and I'm actually gonna be a conscious consumer. I'm gonna have, I'm gonna seek God in silence and solitude. I'm gonna find an inner peace. And out of that inner peace with Jesus, I'm actually gonna take the time to evaluate what I need in my life. To actually take time to consider things like, do I need a bigger house? Do I need a bigger living space? Do I actually need to get a new TV? How is that furthering these calls that we talked about of bringing beauty and justice into the world, of discipling others? Do I actually need to get that new furniture and that new couch or is what I have actually really wonderful and great and is gonna allow me to host people well and serve people well as it is currently? Do I really need to update my wardrobe right now or can I be more intentional about buying some products that are gonna last a little bit longer, that maybe cost a bit more upfront, but are gonna be a bit more timeless, last a little bit longer, and are actually gonna be better, uh, uh, and is actually gonna be a better decision for myself and, and, and maybe even for, for those who are making the clothes and, and all these different things. Simplicity is about taking an inner stillness inside of us and outworking it in how we make our decisions in our everyday life. For me personally and, and, and for Emily, um, a few of the ways that we do this, and again, you don't have to do these things. This is not meant to be a new legalism. It's just meant to be a way of challenging our thinking and setting up our own disciplines for each of us as individuals to, to begin to move toward, more towards Jesus and to focus outside of ourselves. Some of the ways we do this, um, we've really taken some time when it comes to any purchases that we make around our house or in our lives, and we pray into that. Like, Anything big, we really take some time to consider, to discuss with one another, and to ask ourselves this important question of, hey, how is this like furthering the call of God on our lives? That's a big question. When we bought our home, it was like, how is this furthering the call of God on our lives? So like, all right, we really believe that we are going to be in this home so we can serve others, so we can invite others in, so it can be a place for people who need a place to crash and stay for a week, where it can be a place where we're actually um, um, loving others and having great conversations. This is how we're going to use each room for that purpose. And we actually prayed over our home and saw our home in that way. When it comes to buying clothes, uh, actually one thing that I've been really convicted by is just that a lot of our clothes are made not super ethically, that a lot of it actually is built on slave labor um, um, and, 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 and this, uh, uh, this poverty that, that we don't really see in our Western culture anymore, but a lot of it's just been shipped overseas and we take advantage of the pain and suffering of others. And so for me personally, like we, we've started to just be more intentional saying, okay, like maybe we don't need to buy clothes all the time. Let's buy a couple things that we know are going to last us. Let's go thrifting if we want to just pick up some 
some new fun clothes uh, where we know that it's not just adding more to that, uh, that, that consumption and to, to, to some of the unethical practices there. Um, looking at these different areas of our lives and making these judgments and evaluations, slowing down and trying to consider what's happening. And honestly, we fail at this all the time. My wife has been riding me all week or all month because I spent my entire spending money budget on Tim Hortons in like the first like two weeks of the month. It was absolutely terrible. I just like totally binged out. I did not live simply. Uh, I did not just enjoy the coffee I had at home that was readily available for me. Uh, I just wanted that Tibby's. I was excited about it. And also, I didn't do a great job of this. And I think for each of us, it's a journey, it's a process, it's not a legalism that we have to follow, uh, but it's actually just a way of reevaluating what we're doing, what we're consuming, what we're purchasing, and saying, hey, how can I live simply, live frugally, live uh, and make decisions that are wise uh, for God's kingdom, for my future, and are focused outwardly and not inwardly. I really believe that by leaning into these practices, we can see a massive transformation in the world around us and in ourselves. Honestly, I think just so many of us are feeling burdened and bitter because of how much we're consuming in our lives, uh, of how many expectations we have of what people are going to do for us. We honestly live in a society that is just so catered to our every whim and fancy. And I really believe that so, much, so many of us are feeling hollow and unfulfilled because we just keep consuming and consuming and consuming and consuming and hoping that it's going to satisfy us when we actually just need to stop and begin, and begin releasing this, this obsession with ourselves and begin seeing others, seeing who God has in front of us. I don't know about you, but I want to remain in Jesus. I want to embody the love that he has for me. I've messed up. I've done bad things. I, 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 I know how broken I am inside, and I'm just so thankful that Jesus would love me. And, and as much as I struggle with it, and I, and I work through it and all these different things, I, I, I want to actually begin to live out this love for, and embody it for others. I actually want to be a part of creating beautiful things with God. I want to be a part of bringing about justice in this world. I actually want to be a part of making disciples and of reaching my friends and my family and the people in my city and in my community and in this province with the same love of Jesus that I experienced. And I really do believe that if we continue to, to implement these practices out of a place of heart transformation and complete surrender before God, if we actually just take some time to think critically and ask some of these questions about how we're spending our time, how we're spending our finances, and what we're consuming, that, that, that God can actually use that to develop new desires inside of us. That he's actually going to reform and reshape our desires, reshape our hearts, bring us closer uh, uh, to, to Jesus, closer to the Father. And we're going to get excited about the fruit. We're going to get excited about our friends and family who come to know Jesus for the first time. We're going to get excited about the bonds of alcoholism that are broken in that person's life when they experience God. We're going to get excited about, about the young person uh, who, who, who's struggling through uh, um, the challenges of growing up and finding themselves and discovering themselves and just the hope and purpose and identity they find in Jesus. I don't want this message today to come across as banging people over the head or some new legalism because I think it could so easily be that. 
But my hope in my heart today, as we lean into these ideas of service, generosity, and simplicity, is that we would just begin to stay, take step forward in our surrender, in the transformation of our hearts, that this would be driven out of a place of love, it'd be driven out of a place of knowing that we are accepted, that we are saved, that Jesus loves us, and that we get to have relationship with him. And out of that place, there would just be this flowing of love, this flowing of service, that it would change how we interact with others, it would change how we spend our finances, and it would change what we consume in our lives and what we value. I hope this has encouraged you today. I hope that it's blessed you. I just want to take a minute right now for anybody who's tuning in and has never made a decision to follow Jesus before. If you're here today and and, 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 you're, and you're listening to this, you're like, hey, like, I didn't know that Jesus died for my sins. I didn't know that, that, that actually my mistakes have consequences and I need his love and his sacrifice uh, 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 to, to live eternal life with him. I just want to give you an opportunity to make that decision right here, right now. So if you're in Elmira, uh, why don't you just close your eyes, bow your heads, everybody there. Uh, if you're tuning in online with, or with others, you can do that as well. Close your eyes, bow your heads. This is a private moment. If you're tuning in by yourself, you can, you can stay watching, but... I just want to take a second right now, and if you're here today and you want to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time, you're saying, yes, I want to experience this relationship with Jesus, with this Savior. I want to rest and remain in Him. I just want to encourage you, if you're in Elmira or, or tuning in with others, why don't you just raise a hand right now, uh, just as a declaration of like, yeah, I'm, I, I want to make this decision. This is a decision I'm making right here, right now. If you're tuning in by yourself uh, or, or online in our live service, there's just going to be a button popping up in the chat that says, I've made a decision. You can click that button right now. I'm going to pray for you. God, I just thank you for anybody who's made a decision to follow you today, Lord Jesus. I say this is the best decision they could ever make. I just pray that you would be with them as they embark on this journey, Lord God, that even in this moment, Lord, they would experience your love, Lord Jesus. They would experience that deep, sacrificial love that you have poured out for us, Lord God. Uh, and that would just excite them for this journey of following after you, for practicing your, your way, Lord God, and following in your footsteps. I pray that you would bless them and bring the right people alongside them to support them. In your name, amen. All right, now I just want to pray for anybody else who's just been encouraged or, or kind of touched by this message, who's been challenged by this idea of how we can actually set up intentional disciplines to shift our focus outside of ourselves and out towards others. If that's you here today, and I know for me, prepping this message has been a big conviction. I just want to take an opportunity uh, and, and pray together. So again, we can close our eyes, bow our heads if we're with others, but while you can just raise one hand, maybe two, we're going to go into worship after this. And let's just pray into what God has for us. Lord God, I just thank you right now that you love us, Lord. God, I just thank you that you have sacrificed for us. And I just pray right now that as we go out of this place today, Lord God, as we come out of this message today, Lord Jesus, that you would actually just begin to stir something inside of our hearts, Lord God, that we would just be able to set up the practices and disciplines with intentionality to actually begin to see ways that we can serve others, that we'd be able to look beyond ourselves, Lord Jesus. We'd be able to look at the image of God that you say is in every single person. We would see your image in the people and the world around us, Lord God, and it would just move our hearts to service. It would move our hearts to sacrifice, that we would put others' needs before our own, Lord Jesus, that we would surrender our own selfishness and our own desires, and that you would just bring our desires in line with you, Lord God, that you would just bring us closer to your heart, Lord Jesus, so that we could live according to what you have in store for us, God. We surrender before you now and pray this in your name. 
Amen. Amen. Let's worship. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.